When somebody's up here and they're angry, bring it down. If you're not watching what you're doing and how your approach is, is it threatening to that person? Because they might not recognize who you are. Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I also lead a caregiver support group in my local community. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Speaking of best medicines, right? (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. (sighs) You know, come to think of it, it, this might be a martini night. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. So remember situation with, with dad where we were taking him to the VA hospital in Martinsburg and you were in the passenger seat and he was behind you and the fear you felt because you didn't know if he was going to reach up and assault you in any way. That was probably one of the worst days that we ever had with your dad. He'd had a psychotic break and he had accused us of trying to kill him. And, um, we were taking him to the VA hospital, which is where he wanted to be because he was, he was terrified of us. And he was sitting in the back seat and he was actually panting. And I was, I was afraid that he was going to take that seatbelt and wrap it around my neck. But there were a couple of other times with him where, where I had reason to be afraid. There was one day when he, you know, he stood in a boxer stance and raised his fist and said, you better not try anything because I'll defend myself. And I looked at him and said, well, I can move faster than you. Um, and took a step back, but I wasn't really sure that I could move faster. But, you know, when we're dealing with people with dementia and with mental illness, there are times when they get extremely aggressive. Right. And you don't typically think about it until you're in that vulnerable situation. Absolutely. And that brings us to our guest today, um, doctor of nursing practice with the published project, Preventing Patient on Nurse Violence Through Education. She is the founder CEO of NavUnite, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to bring awareness, education, empower, and ultimately eliminate violence in healthcare. She is a number one best-selling author and has been on the TV talk show, The Doctors. Please welcome to our show, Dr. Sandy Rizzoldi. Hi, Dr. Sandy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out and um, this is such a big topic um, and, and it scares a lot of people. As far as um, caregivers and family members, it could be even more scary because we all we want to do is help and we want to make sure that our loved ones and our, and our patients are taken care of. You know, now, I, now, I, Dr. Sandy, when you say we, you're talking about nurses, correct? Not a caregiver. Nurses are caregivers. So uh, are yeah, CNAs. Yeah. Okay, yes. yeah, touche. <laughs> <laughs> um, nurses, are, nurses are caregivers, and you hear a lot about caregiver fatigue, and really what it is is burnout and post-traumatic stress at some point um, because of sometimes you have patients that um, you relive those moments, and if you relive them longer than one month, it becomes PTSD. You know, it took me a long time to realize that, you know, I cared for Mike's dad for seven years. It took me a long time to recognize that what I felt was PTSD, to put those two together. 
but absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a lot. And then when you have multiple patients, um, you know, from one patient to several patients, how do you process a death in one area with one patient and then go and have a smile for the next patient? It's almost like we're, we're forced into a bipolar state. And a lot of people don't put two and two together that maybe the caregiver has already reached fatigue as soon as like not even six months out of nursing school. So um, it, it's very important topic. And as well as also when you have the loved one at home, how do you, you know, see these, you know, you see these changes that are happening and really it's what's happening in the mind. And it's not you personally, when, as you know, um, when you have dementia and the onset, your mind is skipping like a, a record and they become frustrated and they become upset because they're starting to see and they're grieving their past because they just want to be okay again. And from every caregiver standpoint, we have to take ourselves out of the situation and look from the outside sometimes to see that what the other person's going through and it could be very traumatizing to them. Now you have this program of education to help eliminate um, violence against nurses. Mm -hmm. So how do you train a nurse and even, and I'm sure what we're sharing today will help the home caregivers. Mm -hmm. Is it how to react to their behavior so it doesn't reach the point where they're ready to strike out? Um, what is involved in, in, in that education process? Um, for it is very important to prevent problems before they get to that point. Um, you know, as far as there's different ways that I handle every situation, but the, if you're starting to see watching the behavior, I'm a professional people watcher, right? That's what I, I always love watching people and and watching the different behaviors and how people act. So it's easy for me to see when somebody is starting to do with their hands like this and, and looking around and they start talking louder and, you know, and they, you could start seeing that they're fidgeting more and that they, you know, or they're pacing, something's going on in their mind and they're reliving something or something, they're seeing something that's not there. And this could be for mental health as well as also for dementia. We kind of handle both in that regard for um, psych. Um, but it's not necessarily a psychiatric condition for dementia, okay? There could be like delirium that comes with it. It could be, um, like you were mentioning earlier, a psychotic break where they're reliving a traumatic event on that skipped record. So um, what I do with the nurses, I start from nursing school as well as, because that's where the, de the deficit of knowledge is, become, is, is coming from and then moving it forward. And it is trying to, when somebody's up here and they're angry, bring it down. It's absolutely important to bring down your voice and bring and watch how you're, like we all have some form of RBF is what we call it, but <laughs> you know, you have like this facial expressions, you need to watch your nonverbal communication. Are you standing here with your arms crossed and what do you want or not again? <sighs> you know, watch it. You know what I mean? Cause you're modeling, the patient will model your behavior. So if you're not watching what you're doing and how your approach is, is it threatening to that person? Because they right. might not recognize who you are. They're living right. in the past. 
if they're a family member, they might remember who you are, of course, especially in the beginning, but they're living in the past, not right now. So, and, and then it becomes a fight or flight. Yeah. And, and then what happens with fight or flight? Your body, your immune system. Yeah. Well, your immune system also goes down too. If you're at a heightened sense of alert, right? Then you get blood pressure issues, you get blood sugar issues, you get all these kinds of things. And over a pro prolonged period of time, what do you think happens? You get uh, sick. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's very important even with nurses, like nursing school is very minimal, right? Like it's the very, it's very important. Nursing school is like um, going through boot camp for a prolonged period of time. So you're at the heightened sense of alert all the time for like at least two years. And so <clears throat> unfortunately nurses are almost at that point <laughs> when they get out of nursing school. <laughs> But that doesn't, but we still, we're holistic beings and we also have to remember that everybody is a human being and what you see on the outside isn't what's going on on the inside. Mm. So nursing has always been medical, right. you know, they're, they're more into medical. Here's your pill. This is that the blood pressure doesn't seem right. Da, 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 da. It's more transactional task oriented. Right. So now we have you know, Dr. Rizaldi coming in <laughs> saying, hey, 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 where's the human in all this? We need to be more human. We need to, it's, it's more important, especially in a litigious society on top of everything, right. we need to watch ourselves because if you build relationships, professional relationships with your patients, you inform them of their day of what's going to happen you know, even with written, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll know what's happening. And that's another way to prevent issues happening. So the doctor's going to come see you roughly around nine o'clock. This is what's going to happen informed. When you have a patient that has dementia, they need something written. They need lists. Oh, right? yes. Uh, a routine was so critical for dealing with Mike's dad. Everything from what time he got up in the morning to when he was going to eat, when he took his medications, when the mail was going to arrive. If the mail didn't arrive on time, he was pacing, waiting to see what was going to happen. And I would say to him, if the mail doesn't come today, it will come tomorrow. Yes, it'll come tomorrow. It's okay. What's going on? And, you know, it was it, that routine and knowing what was going to happen was extremely important to him. Very much like if you remember the movie Rain Man, he was very much on that schedule. It's three minutes till this. It's five minutes till that. It's time to eat. And after he had that initial break with us, and I realized that he hadn't been taking his medications, um, over time, I became very, uh, very much a people watcher as related to him. And he was very good at hiding his symptoms, mm -hmm. especially if he was dealing with medical people. But I could look at him and I, I would know he was in pain, even if he said he wasn't. I, was, I knew he, he wasn't feeling well. I knew when he was agitated. Um, sometimes Mike would come in and I'd say, the others are here today and know that he was hearing voices and something was going on and you need to pay attention because then he could get very upset. And, and so, yeah. Uh, uh, um, what you're saying is resonating. <laughs> what 
also I want you to um, think about it and I know you have and you even just said it but I don't know if you I like to break things down into simple concepts and because you know I have different kinds of learners right and I'm one of those kind of different learners so it's more like a loss of control when you've had when you're when you're seeing things slipping and you need that time regimen and it's like you don't know when things are happening and things are not happening because when you don't have that structure you're confused you don't know what exactly is happening so when that pattern is off like um, when you're watching somebody's pattern as far as being a people watcher um, when you watch the pattern it's not really off there's something that's wrong and um, that's on, on a normal basis. But when you have somebody that has, that can't, that's having their mind skipping like the record, they're not, they feel like my world is spinning out of control. So it's very important that, um, and it's almost along the lines of um, those on, uh, that have Asperger's and that have obsessive compulsive personality disorder, they're very regimented and structured. Um, they need that structure. It, it comes with so many different areas. And then when you have somebody that has dementia, they might have already been an extremely structured person with, with if they had a mental illness. And I don't really consider, I maybe like a challenge, uh -huh. you know, that they need to work through and figure out how it would work for them. Um, since your focus is on um, preventing violence against nurses, is there a huge incidence of violence against nurses? I mean, how often does mm -hmm. this happen? How big of an issue is this? Well, and the latest statistics that we have, and of course, if they've exploded in 2018, and this number is absolutely um, underreported because 14,000 nurses, I don't know about how many nurses we have in America, but I don't think it's just 14,000 nurses. And this was an anonymous report. 62% of them said that they have been, they have had verbal and physical abuse from patients. Now, this is not including the nurses' aides. This is not including caregivers and, you know, that are at home taking care of their family members. They get it too. Um, so we have to account, and also doctors. Violence is very prevalent in healthcare. And now we have COVID, where the patient is literally when they're positive, they're inside a, of a room by themselves. The nurse is told not, and the CNA is told not to go in there. They have to botch together their, um, their um, care in segments because they can't be in there all the time. They can't sit in there with their patient and communicate with them. So can you imagine the failure to thrive? And it's not the nurse's fault. It's because we're in a pandemic and there's no sure way of how to treat things. It is extremely unfortunate. And that, that really does weigh down on the caregivers that are out. And I'm looking more now into trauma care, like almost like, cause we have some nurses that have lost and I know I'm digressing a, a tad bit, but I have a nurse um, that's lost in six months, 197 patients to COVID. Oh my. So there's more of a trauma care that needs to be followed up. So these are our caregivers taking care of our patients. They need love too. And, and I want to, I, I definitely want to stress about caregiver fatigue. Um, this is not just with nursing staff. This is also for people at home taking care of their loved ones. Please, please, please step away from the box for a little while. Go do something fun for yourself. Go, go wander and enjoy life and, you know, find somebody to stand in for your loved one because it is very stressful. We know as nursing professionals how stressful it can be. Um, we have it on a larger magnitude, but when it's your loved one, it's hard. 
It's very I'm glad difficult. that you mentioned that and that you mentioned the small things like, you know, going for a walk or yes. stepping outside because, you know, taking those moments for yourself can be very small when you're caring for somebody that needs constant care at home. I remember there was a point where I was absolutely exhausted. I couldn't do it another day. And Mike's dad was treated at the VA hospital and they offered respite care, Mm -hmm. no more than two weeks at a time. But typically we took just a day or two because Mm -hmm. he would punish us when he got home uh, (laughs) by acting out. Um, And, you know, I kept calling and say, I need, I need respite. I need respite. And, you know, I kept being told, there's, we don't have any beds. I'm sorry. There's mm-hmm. no beds. So I got frustrated and I, and I called the hospital and I said, here's the deal. I need this. And if I don't get it, I'm going to call my congressperson and tell him I have somebody in my home with hundred percent service related disability that, that has this option and find a bed. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to um, admit him to the nursing home. Cause I can't do this without respite. Mm-hmm. Well, two days later, there was a bed. Well, there's a, um, you know, just a, a piggyback on that. We have a huge mental health crisis out there and a lot of mental health units are taking, they have an Alzheimer's unit um, or a dementia care unit, which I feel like a lot of that stuff should be handled in nursing homes um, and not put into that kind of situation. Um, that's a whole other uh topic but as far as um we have our mental health problem is so severe in the united states in florida alone i don't remember i think it was mississippi i think is the lowest on mental health care and we are second to lowest in florida um there's literally we have it's bad it's super bad here and i know it's like that everywhere because mental health isn't just uh, it's, it's not a disease. It's like literally everywhere. Everybody has different kinds of epigenetics that it, there's a, it's a, a part of your system, your body, right? You, everybody has a different set of genetics and certain things can trigger certain kind of maybe something in, you know, historic, like, like your family back way back, your hereditary, um, your relatives, and it, the certain the certain combination can open up the Pandora's box to like schizophrenia, certain stressors, com, combined with smoking, with all the chemicals that's in there, environmental chemicals, um, you know, like even cat feces. I mean, it can trigger schizophrenia um, in some people, and that's if there's that genetic component. It's very it's very important that um, we understand that it's not just dementia and Alzheimer's, there's more to that person, right? There's a, there's an actual living, um, non-perfect person that's out there. Right? I mean, he was, he was an absolutely amazing man. I mean, his, his, um, innate intelligence was far greater than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but between the schizophrenia and the Lewy body dementia and the Parkinson's, um, he had lost a great deal but he was aware enough to know he had lost it. Mm-hmm. And one of his most common comments was it don't make sense. If, if we can, Dr. Sandy, I'd like to circle back a little bit. Um, you talked about doing the training. Mm-hmm. So once you get through nursing school mm-hmm. and you go through all the training that's there, and then you go this way, our daughter-in-law is a cath nurse. Is there specific 
training for dealing with patients in a cath lab as opposed to on a psych ward, as opposed to in the emergency room? Is there additional training afterwards that happens depending on where you're going to be practicing your trade? Well, mental health isn't compartmentalized in one little unit. It's everywhere and everybody should be trained. And there is a training that's out there in several uh, different uh, organizations have been trying to hop on this train between many different uh, organizations. I took the holes from their uh, prevention program and I put it and now it's a registered trademark. So now um, when they finally figure it out, they, they're going to have to get a hold of Nurses Against Violence. When you have this training, it's not designed for healthcare workers in regards to, it's like a third party corporation, right? They don't really understand what's happening in healthcare. Hmm. So how do you have a program that's not developed by the caregivers and then we're supposed to follow a corporate ran never been in healthcare system to take down or de-escalate patients. So there's a term and vocabulary is kind of important. You have prevention and you have de-escalation. In mental health terms, they call de-escalation just a blanket statement. What is the definition of de-escalation? To bring something down from a heightened state. Okay, so that's meeting them in the middle when they're already heightened, right? Right. So that's de-escalation. Prevention is to prevent anything from happening. And prevention on the whole like scope of things is cheaper in the long run, like pressure source. That would be like your de-escalation where it's hard to recover that, right? And the reason why I'm digressing, because I'm trying to build a picture here. De-escalation, when you have somebody that's going through, like they're upset, they're, they've already passed like the prevention stage. They're at the point where it's gonna, might be hard for them to come back. Now, I wonder if we have to give this patient an injection. It isn't like, oh, Mr. Smith, can I please give you an injection? And they'll be like, yeah, sure. No, literally not. They fight you, they do whatever. So that's injury, mental injury, secondary trauma for the person that's watching it and the patients. So how much trauma can you have for de-escalation? There's a whole lot. So how about we prevent things? Because if we can see that the part where the patient's starting to get a little, you know, upset or, you know, how about we make sure that that patient's okay? Can we make everybody okay? No, not really. But we can definitely try. So do you have, as I put it for, um, for psych terms, do you have somebody that has um, like a mental illness that's delivering a baby? Do you have somebody that has mental illness that broke their hip? Do you have somebody that had a heart attack that might have some form of mental illness? The number one mental illness period is anxiety and how we control that and fix it is also the way that we want to define it. Like, I know what I want in my care. I will not do anything unless it's the way that I want it. So are we putting, we have everybody, and as I talk to everybody, it's funny, I always talk about my little box, right? My little box, right? And this little box, that's where we try to keep everybody in, just like education. Right. So sometimes you have to think outside of it in order to be able to 
fix things. And so every, to answer your question, sir, and I'm sorry, I had to take you on a little picture. Little No, that's fine. That's fine. It's very important that we understand that, um, number one, not everybody learns the same way. Number two, everybody's different. Everybody should have mental health education and some sort of mental illness like a prevention program. Everybody should take it because everybody is everywhere. And as soon as you walk into the hospital, as soon as you are a patient, you already don't, you're the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's happening with you. As you're talking, I'm correlating this to, to Mike. Mike is absolutely terrified of needles. Oh. <laughs> Mike will faint. He will, he will just a flu shot. Drop, drop to the floor. Now, he will go into the doctor's office or to get a flu shot, and he will tell them that, and that he needs to sit down or he needs mm -hmm. to lie down. When that happens, everything's okay. But when it didn't happen, when the <laughs> person did not believe him, you know, you can share that story, Mike. My dad was here, and because I'm such a needle-phobe, I never went and got flu shots. So Bobby mandated, right? You're my... not bringing that in here. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> And, and of course, I said, yes, my lady. And uh, I went and of course, it was one of those years, like every year that it's going to be the worst ever. And everybody should get their flu shot, man, woman yeah. and child. Yeah. And they were doing it free at the hospital. So on the way home, I stopped at the hot the local hospital. And there's this long, long line. And every step that I shuffled forward, I stressed more and more yeah. and more. So 40 minutes later, when I get up there, I'm locked in fists. And I said, look, I typically pass out. Is there somewhere we can go where I could lay down and you can do this? So because the sudden stop laying down is not as bad as the sudden stop falling down. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lady says, oh, a strapping guy like you, this will only take us. I says, no, really, I need to. And they're like, no, no, it's going to be OK. And I'm like. And I could feel myself going and she lifted up my sleeve. And as soon as I felt the prick out, I went. And so yeah. there I am falling in the middle of the corridor at a hospital and uh, they wave the smelling salts. And of course, then you have the big headache and I look up and there's channel four news with the camera. <laughs> and there, I look over to my right and there's these two little kids, each grabbing onto one of mommy's thighs, saying, no, mommy, no, I don't want to get a shot. I don't want to get a shot. So here's these two little kids and probably many others that are traumatized by this. Yeah. And I'm looking at Channel 4 saying, oh, no, you don't have a release for this. Absolutely <laughs> not. But they, they wouldn't believe me. It was just, we got to move. We got to move. We got to yep. move. And, and that's... unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's part of the problem. One of the things that Bobby said with my dad um, when she had to have a meeting with the, with the staff was, you got hundreds of patients. I have one. I'm going to make sure that my one is taken care of. And that kind of circles me back to ask you, you had mentioned about having trauma here and then going to the next one. How do you flip that switch? And also recall, this is the idiosyncrasies of patient A, who I've just had trauma with and go on to the switch and not just go into patient B, but also recall the idiosyncrasies of B and then C and make those rounds and continually switch on, switch off like the old 
telephone operator with the plugs. I, I can't imagine that. And there's no protections for us either, <laughs> which is an added uh, disadvantage. Yeah. yeah. Whenever we have um, somebody like I've been, I've been, I've been lucky. <laughs> Where I've had, but I've had traumatic incidences where I have lost patients. And unfortunately you do get a little bit desensitized when it comes to that, but you still cry at the end of your shift. Like it's almost that you can compartment and it, it is, it sounds just like mental illness, doesn't it? Where it's like, you just flip from happy to sad and then go back to trying to be happy again. Cause you got to keep those patient care surveys going. Right. Because we're the money makers for we're the backbone of healthcare. Absolutely. And um, but to also go back to answer your question, mental health education is very minimal in nursing school. And um, they're the schools are given a, a, a very thin skeleton outline and then that the nurse that might have a specialty in a different area since they don't have a lot of nursing professors are building that curriculum. Do you think they're gonna focus if they were maternity nurses? Do you think they're going to focus on mental health? Mm. No, well, there you go. Then it continues. Here's my, here's my curriculum you know, for the new person because I can't handle the behaviors from the students and bye. So it's a revolving door with education as well, just like it is with, with regular teachers teaching K through 12. Um, you know, those, it, it, they, so the patients that we take care of, they have children, right? Mm. So I feel, I'm feeling it for the, the teachers in the schools as well. Absolutely. Um, and they should also have this training too, because it's very important that we recognize that how prevention can be key and their mental health education is very poor. Um, and it's not saying that everybody's crazy because not everybody is crazy. We just all have in, individual like um, challenges that we just need to, you know, we need to get through. Um, so yeah, everybody needs it. Even administration should have it because they should be able to um, pop in and help if there's ever an issue. Well, we, you know, we certainly have learned a lot and I think, you know, your being on this show will help our listeners who are involved in this, some of whom are health professionals and some of them are family care caregivers. And I agree, everybody needs this. Um, before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance. NAV Unite, right? Nurses Against Violence Unite. Um, when I was looking at it, it has over 7,000 members and it's in over 50 countries. Um, we're actually now um, between the main page, uh, the followers, the um, people that like the page, that is about 20,000. And on the support group, we have um, over like 10,200 in our support group. So how do I or one of our listeners wants to become a member or um, in, involved in it? What's, what's the process? Yeah, they can just come to Facebook and ask to be added to the group, um, answer the questions. And if they're not a care, you know, they just say if, what kind of caregiver they are. Are they taking care of their family member? Um, it is geared towards a lot of the violence that's happening. So it, it might be for some people. It might not be for some people. And um, it's free to join. And we're going to also have a membership site to start helping us to get out there more so um, into the communities. I just wanted to get that in because that's really an important part of what you do. We are going to also have, um, I just started an um, LLC Recover Me that's going to be contracted 
by Nurses Against Violence Unite, which is going to be a talk therapy as well as also psychiatric um, services for nurses and health uh, and caregivers as well. We're also going to be have our own independent insurance company that I am going to have it tailored, try to get it as good as TRICARE, which is with the with the um, military, because we are we need that kind of coverage um, and also the independence from other um, from employers gives them the autonomy from their employers not having access to any kind of health records, even though that it is a HIPAA violation, they could still have access and there should be penalties. And that's one thing that we're going to have if, you know, going down the line and I can go into that at a different time. I've been thinking about this a long time. <laughs> huh, never made the connection. <laughs> well, right? Well, Dr. Sandy, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a joy having you talking to you both before today and even during this. I'm sure our listeners get a lot out of this um, broadcast. I, um, if I could please mention, if anybody really needs to talk to somebody and they need to reach out, they can always talk to me as well. They can they can find me on Nurses Against Violence and they can message me. That's great. And we'll have links to the, all of that on our webpage. All right. Thank you so much for having me. It means the world. Yeah. Thank you. You can find more information about Dr. Sandy and Nurses Against Violence Unite on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.